Hi, I'm Noel McDermott. Welcome to Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Station. I'm just looking at Andrew, wondering when he's going to get anxious and indicate that I should come in and say something. Honestly, I was waiting for you to say, hi, I'm actually Noel McDermott. Hi, I'm actually Noel McDermott. There we go, every week. There we go. (laughs) I'm not going to change. I'm too old to change. Can't teach this dog new tricks. Um, Yeah, I am Noel McDermott here, uh, rather than the advert that has me as Noel McDermott. Here I am in the studio with Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. And with Jason. (laughs) Hi, Noel. Hi, how you doing? I was just about to call you James. I about to call you James because I mean, no school to call me James tonight as well. Yeah, yeah, because Jingle James is the um, is the um, the Jedi Master when it comes to uh, the studio, mm-hmm. and Andrew is the pad one. <laughs> so um, I was going to call you. You obviously look like a Jedi Master to me, Jason. I'm I'm impressed. There you go. But don't chop me up with your lightsaber. <laughs> That's all I can ask. Um, I'll be gentle. No lightsabers this evening. Um, Jason Alexander is with us. Jason Alexander's in the house. We well, set it up for. We should have um, a jingle for applause. We should have a jingle for applause. Have we got an applause jingle? We don't have an applause jingle. Jason, if you're listening, Mr. <laughs> <Jason>. Jingle, <laughs> James. <laughs> It's, it's just, it's already started, hasn't it? We might as well just pack up and go home now. There's going to be no sense made this evening oh. whatsoever, is there? No, I don't think so. We failed from the beginning. Jingle James, if you're listening, we want a round of applause jingle. I wonder if I can so, find one in this You probably can find one. Can there find must, there's got to be a round of applause somewhere. We want a round of applause jingle. We definitely want. Uh, anyway, welcome to Men's Radio Station, to Wellbeing Wednesdays. My name's Noel McDermott. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm here uh, with my guest, uh, Jason. Alexander and uh, with uh, uh, Andrew who's in the house with us and um, uh, Jason works for the Samaritans which we all know and love um, they've been around um, since the beginning of time it feels like but how long have they actually been around now? I think it's about 60 years about now 60 years isn't yeah. it um, providing um, uh, support to people in crisis in yeah. mental health crisis for many many years saving many many lives mm-hmm. in fact um, with uh, a very simple precept which is that you just listen that's right. Just listen. <laughs> Who would have thought that would be helpful? Mm. And uh, it's extraordinary. We come on to what you do. Um, first of all, I'm just going to remind you this is uh, a radio show, unless you're listening to it on the podcast, in which it's a podcast. So don't be confused. Uh, if you're listening to the radio show version, which you know if it's um, so on a Wednesday evening, and it's the UK time is, um, what time do we start? 9 p.m., isn't it? Um, so if it's 9pm UK time on a Wednesday evening it's probably the radio show which means that you're allowed to join in which is fantastic there's two ways of joining in on the radio broadcast um, which is you can call the number jingle me Andrew jingle you I'm going to have here's the number coming up hang on I love my jingle. It's so good. I love my crappy piece of paper as well on which the phone number is written, which is how we started on the crappy piece of papers. So the live phone-in number is 0203-290-4411. Jingle me, Andrew. Oh. I want to hear that jingle again. One second. Hang on, go. he's going to cross over. 0203 here we go again you've got to remember to turn it off Andrew remember what James said you Uh, have to all I did there was I clicked it again by mistake because I was trying to do this 
what are you trying to do? Has he, have you found some applause? I, I hope so, yes. Oh, hang on, we might have some applause. This would be great. We have applause as well. Soon. Oh, yeah. It's not the best, but uh, I, think, I, think, I think that'll do. Hmm. I like that. That sort of fits in with the theme of the show. Yeah. Sort of reserved, proper, hmm. proper British reserved. Yeah, proper hmm. British. Proper British. Keep that British going. We'll have that a bit later on. We'll give a, every time every time <laughs> anybody says something we every like. Every time someone phones up or comments on Facebook, <laughs> we can have the very British applause. Why not? So one way you can join in is by calling us. I won't do the jingle again because um, oh Andrew's just sweating over there at the moment. It's spelly enough in this room as it is um, without that happening. Um, but the other way you can join in is on Facebook Live. Uh, hi, Facebook Live. Um, and um, uh, if you, well, that's very easy. Go on to Facebook, use the search engine thing that they've got, and uh, type in Men's Radio Station, and up we will pop. And just click live and join in. Um, you can listen to us and watch us. Um, and you can watch us with your hands over your eyes. Certainly when I come on, I would do that. It's not worth watching me. Um, and um, you can then comment and like and things like that. Um, the other great thing you can do with Facebook Live is um, it'll stick it in your diary and remind you every week that we're on, if you like. Um, if you're listening to the podcast and the way you know you're listening to the podcast, it's not Wednesday evening. And uh, yeah, uh, and then you can auto you can contact us through the website. Well, what if someone's listened to a previous podcast on a Wednesday evening? A pre now we're getting really we're going back to the future. Okay, <laughs> so what are the rules uh, of Back making, to the uh, Future? We've got to make sure here. we've got to make sure that the real me and the podcast in the past version of me never meet. Overlap, yeah. Because we, they actually overlapped last week, and that was a problem, wasn't it? Yes. We had a, a severe problem with um, a time space distortion. Uh, which um, which broadcasts an old show as well as the live. There will be no problems this week. I can fully fully confident. He's been cracking the whip and kicking somebody's ass. Well done, Andrew. Um, so um, those are two ways you can join in. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, please do still get in touch with us because we can always forward questions and comments to Jason. Uh, we can pass them on to you and to the Samaritans team in general. Um, and so well, that's nicely segueing in. Did you notice that, Andrew? How well I did that. Uh, almost like you're professional. It's almost, almost. like you're professional. You actually didn't notice you were looking at something on a computer. Um, yeah, no. I did notice. Yeah, he never he never listens to anything I say. He's always <laughs> sort of zoned out. There we go. So, Jason Alexander, welcome. I feel very welcomed. J can we have a round of applause? Of course we can. <coughs> Here we go. It's very reserved British mm. <laughs> applause. That's perfect, isn't it? <laughs> it's the friendliest, nicest round of applause I've ever heard. You, in did, my a, life. you, did, a, you did an adequate job. <laughs> <laughs> you did an adequate job of, of arriving yeah. in the studio. Well done. Thank you. So, Jason, welcome. How are you? Good. So where have you travelled from today? Uh, well, I've come from home. Yeah. Uh, but I have been training in central London today around yeah. about St Mary's Axe. So but you live all over south of the river, don't you? Yeah. Uh, just So do you, don't you, Andrew? Yeah, yes, I did. I don't know why that was uh, accusing you. So do you, Andrew. I'm I live north of the river, which is the only civilised bit of London, of I course. I don't know. I think there's been... Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> so you've joined us from Loughborough Junction. Thanks yes. For 
Thanks for risking the journey up. Yeah, it was nice and easy. It's lovely to come to this area, seeing all the young people out in Covent Garden. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, and just for them, the day is just starting. Yes. And whereas I'm going, I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely at the end of my day. Oh, dear. Um, But welcome. Welcome to um, the studio. It's great to have you here. And you work for the Samaritans. So briefly tell us, I think people listening probably know what the Samaritans are, but just in case they don't, Mm. briefly tell us what is the Samaritans. Mm. Well, it's a listening charity. Okay. It was set up about, what, uh, 60 years ago and just gives the people the opportunity to uh, offload their worries and their thoughts and their feelings. Mm. So when people are feeling, it does, it's for anybody. It's not just those people that are feeling suicidal, but for those people that are struggling to cope. And often in the darkest hour, you know, between mm. midnight and, and four in the morning, that's often when we get the most calls. Yeah. Where people are just calling about well, anything, really, mm. about some form of trauma or upset. And uh, we're there just to listen and uh, there's no judgment uh, just hear what they've got to say and allow Where does them this to word explain. Samaritan come from? There's a oh. <laughs> story about Samaritan isn't there? Yeah um, a Good Samaritan what was all that about? Yeah well what happened uh, again about 60 years ago someone did a good deed and uh, it was referred to as a good Samaritan and the name stuck Right. so uh, the Samaritans it's a, it's a listening charity it's not a religious organisation yeah. often people get confused by that yeah. so it's a listening charity made up of about 21,000 volunteers wow. and they uh, answer that phone 24 hours a day 7 days a week every day of the year yeah. we take around about 5 million calls or contacts each year hmm. uh, and it's free uh, and uh, when people call it's totally confidential, yeah. so uh, we're not uh, recording their telephone number, who mm. they are, or where they are, mm. and anything people share with the Samaritans stays with the Samaritans. Yeah, and I think that gives a lot of confidence because when people share, especially with a stranger, mm. they're able to share pretty much anything, mm. and it, they're not going to get that comeback. And, and the people on the other end of the line, the Samaritans, who mm-hmm. the listeners who pick up the phone, mm-hmm. they're they're not necessarily professional counsellors or anything. They no, but they've had members m- of the public. I yeah, uh, they're just like you and me. Yeah. But they've had yeah. uh, several months worth of training, and uh, they've uh, yeah spent some time uh, just just learning those listening skills. Some sure. people are much more natural at it than others, but it's a skill that can be learned. Mm. And I think the hardest thing is not to talk, is, is not to give advice, not to interrupt, not to give your point of view or your prejudice, your advice, all those kind of things. Yeah. But just to encourage that person to continue to talk. Yeah, yeah. And talking is, or actually being listened to, is an extraordinary healing experience for mm. lots of people. Mm. Particularly around um, subjects around mental health, particularly if, if the sort of aspects of mental health, I think that somebody's talking about might be frightening mm. in some way. I, I feel like I want to die. Mm. Um, could mm. be frightening for somebody, but to mm. be listened to in that mm. and, and mm. have a response that isn't based upon the fear of the other person listening, mm. Um, mm. I would imagine is a very powerful healing mm. experience. Yeah, and I think uh, if people are there and they listen and they give permission for that person to continue to talk, mm. that builds up the trust, and then they can share the other things. Because sometimes people will start a conversation at the Samaritans about something which sounds quite insignificant, <laughs> like they've lost their keys or their toaster's blown or something yeah. like that. Now, it might be the final straw of a series of things that have gone wrong, mm. but also it might just be, look, I really haven't got the language to be able to talk about what I want to talk about. Yeah. haven't really experience talking about this let's say start something i can talk about especially blokes like mechanical mm. or something easy to talk about mm. and if the person i'm talking to actually I, I can start to connect with then actually maybe i can talk about the stuff which i'm struggling with 
Hmm. And then that can open up a whole series of, of discussion hmm. and conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing stuff. Um, I have a, you know, a, a personal connection, in of not the Samaritans as such, but mm-hmm. I mean, when we were talking on the phone before the show, I mm. sort of said to you, um, I suppose I started my career as a helper mm-hmm. um, in the student version of Samaritan, mm. which is called Nightline. Mm. Very important. Very similar type of organisation. Mm. I'm not sure it actually came, I can't remember if it came from the Samaritans, but certainly when I was training in Nightline, mm-hmm. with the sort of doing the, the work for them, volunteering, mm-hmm. there were very strong connections with the local Samaritans mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they would help trainers and supporters and things like that. So. Yeah. And Samaritans do quite a lot of that. So, for instance, uh, they will go into things like uh, like prisons and things like sure. that and train up listeners, yeah. prison listeners for that uh, environment. Mm. So uh, their vision is to reduce the number of people that take their life by suicide yeah and so the more we can share our knowledge and skills with others to be able to do that uh, that's what we'd really love to yeah. do yeah yeah so it's i'm always interested in how people end up um where they are here and now and it's often there's there are issues there and then or life experiences there and then that mm. sort of uh, when we look back on them can begin to sort of um weave a fabric or uh, sort of create a story that seems mm. to say oh that now I know why I'm <laughs> here. You know, that's, oh, that makes sense. In, in, we sort of always do our life in retrospect in some ways, I think. We sort of look back mm-hmm. and go, oh, uh, that's why. Um, we experience life, I guess, in the moment, but sort of thinking about the narrative and the story. So mm-hmm. um, uh, you didn't just fall out of the sky and land <laughs> in the Samaritans one day. You existed prior to that. Yes, I so had a previous life. You had a previous life. You had a previous existence. So at one point you were a, 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 a boy, somewhere mm-hmm. with parents mm-hmm. and a family i guess yeah tell yeah. us about that where was the, where did all that start so uh bromley in kent uh, in a place called locks bottom near pratt's bottom often the couple of laughs around the location um so grew up uh, with mum and dad and my sister sarah mm. um yeah i went to school as you normally would do yeah. went to a private school so a good education small so, village community um uh small town what was it like yeah it's uh yeah a small yeah well london had expanded into it so it's it was pretty much london suburbia with right. um yeah uh, so more like a new town community sort of bits bit, bits of estates which are just grown up you know okay. how how the estates yeah. are spread out yeah. uh, out from london right uh but we were fortunate because we backed on to lots of woodland so it's about uh, after our house, we actually had hit the fields and the woods, which was Lovely. really, really nice. Yeah, um, sort of where I, the second half of my childhood in Birmingham was like that. It was mm-hmm. right on the green belt. Actually. Yes. So literally, my back garden moved into the green yeah. belt, and we had uh, then all this amazing open space, yeah. and canals and things like that. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. It was just a joy actually as yeah. a kid. I just remember well the freedom of just yeah. being able to go out to the sort yeah. of. But you had woodland, did you say? Yeah, woodland and fields. And of course, to go the other way, and then got a big, massive Sainsbury's and yeah. uh, the main A roads yeah. and things like that in the front. So were you the sort of boy who was adventurous? You liked going into the woods. You were sort of not really. No, no, not that. No, pretty much stayed at home. Did you? Okay. Yeah, yeah, played with my soldiers. That was my thing. I played did with. You? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, what armies did you have? Oh, <laughs> just plastic soldiers. That's yeah. one of my my, my games. Yeah, great, great. Did you win any battles? No, I just set them up and knocked them over. Did you? <laughs> very simple. Very simple. Great. So you were a, a, a boy who liked his own space then? You were sort of at home? Yeah, I think uh, previously I, I wasn't that outgoing. Uh, but mm. then as you got older and I realised that actually chatting to people and that was actually quite fun. Mm. And then from then I really do like chatting to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So school was, you know, you remember it fondly. You had some nice yeah, memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. School's always been good. Uh, my 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 primary school was really good. Uh, if it was a real safe place. Um, Mr. Armster was our head teacher, and um, he'd often, you know, you can walk around and get there early, and sometimes you walk around with a head teacher, yeah. and you'd, you'd have permission to ring the bell when it was time to start things. Yeah, yeah. Very small school, I think it was like one form entry, and that suited me because I started off. Uh, Mum and Dad sent me to a much bigger school, mm. and uh, they must have realised I disliked it. I don't yeah. know how they picked up on that, but I was only there for about a, a, a term or so, and they took me out of that. It's that's a big, frightening environment. And then into this much smaller school, right? Uh, suited me much better. Yeah, felt yeah, safe. Yeah. So your parents are sort of very sensitive to your needs. Mm. Mm. So you didn't have to go up to them and go, oh, "I hate this." No. They just figured it out. I think they figured it out. Yeah, I think <laughs> when you your your soldiers became slightly more savage yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I think I was wetting myself. I think that's probably, <laughs> you know, they're thinking <laughs> that's that something's the not. Away. Yeah, something's that's not quite giveaway, right here, absolutely. is it? Yeah. Okay, um, but that's nice that they sort of noticed and then they changed yeah. it. They, yeah. they sort of. What did your folks do? What were your parents? So dad, in? dad was a state agent, yeah. and he worked in a local village, uh, and that was good. And yeah, we had a dog that would go and visit him. So we had Ben, the boxer, who lived uh, with us, and uh, he would often escape from the house and mm. go and visit my dad in his office after. Uh, crossing a couple of main roads really? so often he'd have to come back <laughs> with the dog to say please don't let the dog out he comes and visits me it's not great for business <laughs> that's great i love it what a great story um ben has passed away i imagine sometime yes ago. this he yeah, was so. yeah he was when i was about yeah i'm 50 now yeah. so uh yeah i think he died when actually when i went to 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 polytechnic in my yeah. about 18 so yes okay. it's been some time now yeah, but yeah. fond memories what a lovely story. And your sister, she's older or younger? Older, big sister, always was there for me, looks after me. Yeah, and how much uh, older than you? Only two years. Right. Uh, and yeah, she's got a family of her own now. I see. Lives near mum and dad. Great. Mum and dad's still going then? Oh yeah, Fantastic. oh yeah, still there. Great. So Rock, what do they do now? They've sort of gone... Retired, um, uh, dad plays a bit of golf, does a bit of bowling. Great. And... Uh, Crown Green or bowling, I imagine. No, it's, it's where you throw, it's, it, is it French... Balls where you throw oh, the thing. Oh yes, I uh, know. Patonk, yeah. patonk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. does Great a bit of that, game. and yeah. uh, he likes going on holidays when they can. Good, good, good yeah. for him. So they retired. They so it sounds like it was um, very stable, almost mm -hmm. idyllic childhood. Yeah, yeah, very stable, very easy. And so when I was at Polytechnic, there was a. A real draw to come home because mum was a great cook. Right, everything happened and was comfortable at home. There was lots of space, lots mm -hmm. of time. Um, yeah, so. Uh, and what did you do at Polly? What did you do? In town it? and country planning. Now, did my you? father was an estate agent, and right. he was sensible, and he thought it would be really important for you to so do a good job. Tell me what town and country planning is. Uh, well, I really wanted to do estate management and learn how to build houses and make lots of money. Right. Yeah. And, but um, I, my grades weren't so great. Mm -hmm. And then Oxford Poly um, would match the grades I got, but in town and country planning. So they're the guys that moderate the, the builders to make sure that what they're building is appropriate. They okay. set up structure plans and local plans and say you can build flats and houses and roads in these places to so these they're densities. they're local authorities. So it's a local authority kind of thing. And uh, so um, that was really interesting because mm. it's a whole about human geography and business and stuff like that. Sure. It's quite fascinating. And, you know, at that age, you don't really know what you want to do. And actually, it's about property. So that's probably where I want to go. You tend to do what your dad does or <laughs> you, that's what you see. I didn't do what my dad did because that's probably sensible. Yeah. <laughs> what my dad did. So yeah, OK, sort of, well, yeah, maybe yeah. dig into that a bit yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if you want yeah, to talk about that's it. That's an interesting story. OK. Um, 
Yeah, so property was a, a good thing. I think he encouraged either sort of surveying or something right. like that. Um, but then did that, and then as we came out, there was a recession in property. <laughs> and everything was, you know, all the planners was getting laid off because actually that was unheard of, and all the property was going, um, building wasn't happening. Yeah. So I ended up in insurance, um, another sensible job. Um, hmm. And, you know, something you could make a career out of. Um, but that really didn't, really didn't, wasn't that exciting. I was sometimes on the phone line selling travel um, car insurance policies. Yeah. A direct line had just started. I, I worked for direct line. Okay. And I was one of those guys who would answer the call and um, make yeah. a policy or yeah, yeah. do housing, housing policies and what have you. And something I noticed there, the guys doing the training, I thought that was a really interesting job. Oh, right. Okay. Mainly because they weren't doing the work. Mm. They were showing other people how to work. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's quite good. So you can train people to do the work. Right. That's, that's the way to go. So okay. I, that's the first time I thought oh, training and education would be really helpful. Yeah. And then my uncle was running a... a but there's also been all the way through the story mm. a theme of safety. Mm. Interesting, yeah. Something about safety. You know, I, I was safe at home. I wasn't safe in school. Then I found a safe school for me, mm. and looking for a safe work. And then it wasn't safe. And then I made it safe with insurance, mm. um, which is an interesting choice, given that your career has just been taken away from you. It's like, mm. how do we insure against the future? Do <laughs> things like that to me Perfect. again? Do you know what I mean? It's mm. sort of, so there's this theme of, in, of safety, mm. I think, that, that's coming up, which yeah, seems to feed through. Um, and um, oh, so that, that's interesting. So you then, you began to see the possibility of a role which was then, I suppose, interchangeable. You could move around mm -hmm. what they say, transferable skills. Mm -hmm. And especially with training, it was, yeah. it was something that you could, it could be a lot of variety with it. So you could do uh, lots of things within different subjects. Mm. Uh, but I, initially, it was more about teaching. So uh, my uncle, he had run something called Touch, Type, Read and Spell, still does. And it's a computer program that helps people with learning difficulties, effectively dyslexia. And um, at that stage, you needed someone to help read some of the, the words yeah. so people could type it in because yeah. they didn't at that time have audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I did... Um, uh, some voluntary reading for him and I saw how what a joy I got from actually supporting people and teaching yeah and that teaching environment yeah, yeah. so that was a lot of fun yeah just and when you see me looking at my um, phone what I'm doing is having a look at any sort of comments that are coming up on Facebook mm -hmm. um, so um, just so I don't want you to be too distracted mm -hmm. um, by that but just so you know thank you okay um, so um, you started work with your uncle on um, helping people with processing disabilities. Well, um, mainly dyslexia. Yeah. But then I was uh, then took on a project uh, which was helping people with um, uh, visual and hearing impairment, and so those people would have uh, difficulty writing because they couldn't see that well. But if you use a, a keyboard, <laughs> actually that makes it much easier. Yeah. And also with dyslexia, when you've got um, people with dyslexia, sometimes when they look at a, a black writing on white text, uh, the letters can move and shimmer and yeah. shake. And of course, that makes writing really difficult. Yeah. But if you change the filters, and that's why sometimes you might see uh, some people with slightly tinted lenses yeah. in their glasses, yeah, 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 or they yeah. sometimes put uh, a colored film over some uh, writing. Uh, that stops it shaking and I tell you what it's far easier to read and I've been in the room where I've changed the colours on the screen and uh, the, the, the little boy said gosh the, the words have stopped moving hmm. and the mum would say 
What do you mean they stopped moving? Yeah, yeah. What yeah. Made they stopped moving? Why didn't you tell me they weren't moving? Well, I, didn't, I didn't know that was unusual. Why yeah, would I tell you? That was normal. That's just and what reading, words do, isn't it? The That's reading right. changed, transformed yeah, immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And guys who were visually impaired, they could blow the, those 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 letters up and things like that, yeah. and they could type those with dyspraxia or, or the uh, much more difficult hmm. uh, writing. They're starting to learn these fine motor skills, uh, and the more practice we've already talked about, practice makes things better. In our, hmm. our pre. Uh, uh, chat to mm. the today, they're starting to type, and they're typing as fast as anybody else, and it gives them a whole. So freedom. while I'm watching you talk about this, I'm obviously sort of looking. At, maybe people can't see this. You certainly can't see if you're just listening to the radio. Um, but I will tell you what the body language is telling me is that you're absolutely engaged and turned on by this. Mm. Mm. So you're, you're really enjoying the telling of this story, and, mm. and it's almost like um, you're sharing how you discovered it. Your excitement mm. about it. it it's almost like this very young part of you has come out, and I mm. can see it. You know, you're absolutely fascinated by all of this stuff, but also by your, your sort of helping people. Mm. Mm. That seems to be something that's very deeply embedded in yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Where do you think that comes from? That desire to help. That's a good question. Maybe we'll discover it as we go through. Sure, sure. But it seems oh, we're coming to adverts. Um, but it seems you know very powerful. This thing about safety, and then learning and then helping mm. these seem to be mm. sort of very strong themes mm. that are emerging mm. um and it wouldn't necessarily be the case that that comes from the narrative that you told me about your family it's a sort of mm -hmm. um uh, a, a standard 2.2 issue family yeah where nothing particularly remarkable or interesting happened but no, just a normal family normal. but what's interesting for me is that um normality produces pro-social adults Mm. What does that mean, pro-social adults? Everything that you're describing. Right. Somebody who's engaged with the world, engaged with other people, interested in other people, wanting to help, mm -hmm. want to be part of mm. uh, the world and making the world a better place. Mm. It's very interesting, I think, because we look at some of these dystopian films about, mm -hmm. you know, if we t were to take away all the police and everything like that, mm -hmm. and then society would break down and we'd all be killing each other. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not true. Mm. It's not true. We're fundamentally designed to love for e love each other and care for each other, mm. Mm. because mm. that's our most fantastic survival skill. Mm. Mm. And um, the fact that you had this very nice, normal childhood, stable parents who thought about your needs and met your needs, and and it turns out that you turn into a very pro-social, happy, mm. engaged human being. Well, that's what happens. Mm. Mm. <laughs> that's 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 what happens when that. Mm. You have that input, this is the output that you have. So it's fascinating to see and how you've uh, come through some significant changes in your life. We're just going to go into the adverts now and then we're going to come pick up some of these themes when we come after the adverts. So catch up with you after the adverts. You're listening to Men's Radio Station where men really talk. Hi, welcome to Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Station. We're having such a fascinating conversation in between the adverts that uh, we almost forgot to come back. But here we are, we're back, uh, we're happy to be back, it's great to be here. Um, this is um, a, a radio show, you can join in with us, uh, you can give us a call in. Uh, hang on Andrew, drink that drink because you're going to have to press a button. Oh, okay. You can call in and give us uh, your thoughts on this number. That's great. I think we should do that one again. I don't let's that do that. Are you ready? One, two, three, let's go. Oh, two, oh, three, two, nine, 
You know what? I think that was so well done. It should get a round of applause. It should get a round of applause. I think. Here we go. Let's go with a round of applause. Let's give it a round of applause as soon as it comes on. <laughs> it really is very what, reserved. What, what are we applauding? Applause. Are we applauding the person who made the jingle or just the jingle itself? I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't want to. The fact that you were able to put the jingle on, <laughs> on cue. I think we're giving you the applause there for for once in your life. Well done, for once in your life, you got something to correct. That could be well, well done. So, uh, but it's a very reserved set of applause. So, sort of. The other way you can join in is on Facebook Live. Um, join in, jump in, uh, make some comments, uh, give us a thumbs up, give us a thumbs down, um, uh, have some, uh, have your say about the show. Uh, if you have any um, thoughts or questions, um, please do share them with us, and um, Jason will come to them. We start at the the beginning of the third section is when. Mm-hmm. We answer questions and comments uh, from the public. So, uh, mm-hmm. if any come through, they usually do, uh, which is which is great. We have a few questions and you can answer them and sort of answer people's queries. Mm-hmm. I'm here with Jason Alexander, who currently works with uh, the Samaritans on uh, training um, on suicide prevention within uh, Britain's railways, uh, which is an extraordinarily huge and complicated task, and uh, obviously being very successful because um, numbers of suicides have dropped and numbers of interventions have gone up um, significantly but we're going to come to that in a, more in the third section of the show uh, we're still catching up with you as a person really um, and where you're coming from we've discovered something extraordinary that if you have a stable normal happy childhood what happens is you turn into a stable normal happy adult I mean how does that happen and part of it and this is so there's quite serious point in it part of that stable normal happy stuff is what i what we call professionally pro-social activities and behaviors we are fundamentally social animals uh, and if we are just nurtured appropriately we will turn out to be people who want to engage with other human beings and help other human beings it's a, a natural part of us if we are sort of um, socialized in the appropriate way um, and uh, which is why you know in, in, in sort of mental health terms people who are antisocial it's part of the definition of somebody has a problem mm. it's not a normal state for mm. a human being a normal state for a human being is yourself um, that you know, there you were sort of going going through life you you go to university you get your qualifications you have a life plan it doesn't work out you adapt um, but you start to help people you're interested in your community your fellow human beings particularly people um, sort of with problems you know you want to help that's that's what we're all like as human beings if given the opportunity that's the, the natural state of affairs um, that that we have within us is, is, is that capacity um, which is fascinating and um, it fascinates me that that's what happens as human beings it also fascinates me that when people have had um, maybe adverse experiences but yet still find some way to come back to that state of being a pro-social human being that is open-hearted and kind and wants to help others because I think you know we have these media images now particularly when you've got people like Donald Trump as the Mm. leader of the free world we have this image that there is something about humanity which we are somehow designed to be rapacious and um, sort of self-centered and it's not a natural state Mm. the natural state is what you're describing so please carry on with your story it's fascinating so where do we get to we got to where you were working with dyslexia and dyspraxia and um, you tuned into your uh, sort of uncle's work and then um, you were learning about how you were getting much more interested in 
training and helping people, particularly around the helping professions, sort of mm. how you could transmit that knowledge. And you were talking about that in between the show as well, and in between the uh, during the adverts about um, sort of your love of going in, saying to the schools and teaching teachers. Yeah, about so yeah, we'd also go into uh, schools and colleges and uh, some of the schools saying actually this is really useful um, uh, can we have this uh, this touch type read and spell program yeah. and uh, uh, so uh, really just release that into the schools mm. so uh, you're training up the teachers and how to do it and also a lot about that positive praise in terms of how to uh, support that student going through that mm. and um, what sort of age are you at this point when you're doing all of this I'll be in my 20s 22, 23, 24, 25? Probably 28, something like 28, that. 28, because I know something happened quite significant to you as well when you were 25. Yes, yes, that's when I became Christian. Ah. So, um, uh, previous life before 25, yeah. um, I felt that's quite irrelevant, and the whole kind of thing was just not, you know, although I went to church as a, in a, in a, in a Catholic church, yeah. it was quite boring. Yeah. And we uh, had different experiences of Catholic Yes. I, I'm a Catholic, like most Catholics are, uh-huh. um, but sort of I was, I was brought up, I was dragged up as a sort of dragged through a hedge backwards as a as a Catholic child. But I used to love going to church on a Sunday because, mm. as I was saying to you, it was one of the few days in which my family was civilized mm. and we got we got to dress up and wear the best clothes. And I loved mm. all the incense and the bells and the mm. sung uh, mass and all that sort mm. of stuff. It was just great theatre, I think. But yeah. you you didn't get that. As no, a if we could escape at communion, that was great. <laughs> so occasionally you yeah. did a runner yeah but well, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm think I'm remembering this correctly I don't know if my brother's listening but he can tell me if it's wrong but I'm fairly sure me and my brother had a great game a great wheeze with the priest where we'd invent sins that mm. we'd done and we could see how many we could get how mm. many Hail Marys and our fathers we could get from the priest because we, we just um, found it, the whole thing hilarious yeah, so. no, I, I like following rules <laughs> that's quite uh, that's probably that's a safety thing <laughs> that's right and therefore is. doing it properly yeah um, but yeah and so by the yeah, time my impulse control has always been pretty bad uh, but <laughs> nothing much has improved on that one to be honest yeah so by the time I left and went off to polytechnic yeah. I didn't know to go, need to go to church so I didn't uh, although I met at uh, polytechnic although it's now uh university they've all mm. changed um uh some guys uh, uh, one of my friends who was a christian and yeah. he was fun yeah. and exciting <gasps> and intelligent yeah. and he believed in god and i thought how can someone who's intelligent believe in god because that's purely surely believing in god is you know you obviously got something wrong because you can't <laughs> okay. it d- doesn't exist does it yeah. so anyway th- he um obviously encouraged me to go to the, the, some of the events and you know mm. i met other normal interesting yeah. and talented people uh, but you know, uh, faith. If you don't believe, then it'd be a lie to say you do. Yeah. yeah. So right. I, th- I'm, 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 I, you know, I vote for it. I think having a God that looks after you and and can heal and stuff like that yeah, sounds yeah. brilliant. Yeah. But, but you either believe or you don't. But yeah, you either believe yeah. and you don't. And if you yeah. don't believe, I mean, there's no point in saying you do, even yeah, if yeah, absolutely. If, absolutely if you think it's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, yeah, out of the blue, I once went to a, a wedding. Um, it was held at a bishop's house in Wales. It wasn't a religious group of people there. It was just a normal uh, wedding, and the key event was the socialising. Mm. And I had a great time. And uh, I woke up that night, went to bed, woke up that night, and I had an incredible urge to thank someone 
for what was going on. Right. A, a real urge to thank and a, a real urge to read the Bible, mm. which is odd. Mm. I haven't had a real I, urge. I have to say, I've never woken up in the night and went, I really need to read the Bible. <laughs> it's not happened to me. No. I no. sometimes wake up in the night and I have an urge to thank people. Gratitude is something mm. I feel a lot. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm very grateful that I have gratitude. Mm. You know, I happen to know the power of gratitude as well. Mm. So sometimes I do it whether I feel it or not. Mm. I'll write lists of things I'm grateful for. Mm. If I'm feeling a bit miserable and grumpy, mm. I'll just write a gratitude That's list. Good. And it sorts my head out in yeah. a short space of time. But but gratitude and wanting to thank yeah. something or somebody is a really good idea yeah. in life. Yeah. Yeah. But you then had this urge to sort of read a Bible yeah, which of is all things. And of course, and you happen to be in a hotel, so it's like we fairly know that in a hotel, somewhere in a hotel, is going to be a Gideon's Bible. And there was, and I opened up, hunted around, and your need was met. Yeah, need was met. And I love this. This is so typically you. I would just, if I had the urge to read a Bible, which I haven't, but if I did, I'd probably just sort of see where it opened and dive into it, and then maybe go backwards and forwards and up and down and zigzag around it. But Mm. you didn't. No, you started on. The preface, yeah, to the preface, to the preface, yeah, it's right at the beginning, and you worked through it methodically. Yeah, so the first things are how many times it's been printed, and when has it been printed, and that really impressed me. I mean, (laughs) I'm thinking this thing's been printed a lot. (laughs) It has. It's been around a while, and it's been around a while. It's been quite enjoyable if it's been printed that many times. Yeah, well. I mean, so is it not the best-selling book around? That's right. And, and in fact, book? it is, isn't it? It yeah, actually it's is. It's not on the list because yeah, it's yeah, always yeah. been number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then uh, in the Gideon's Bible, they have uh, verses. Yeah. And uh, What, John Lennon songs? <laughs> they have verses from the Bible, which, which well, for instance, uh, for me, it seemed to answer one of my questions I had. Right. But then ask so many more questions. Okay, right. And then the next verse I read... Uh, seem to answer some of those questions but then all of a sudden I realised there was even more so I started to understand a bit but I really understood that I really didn't understand much at all but that seems to me something about who you are as a person as well because I think that there's definitely a theme in your life of learning and growing and uh, constantly wanting to know Mm. You know, so you meet your uncle, you you meet his project, and and then you want to become a trainer in it, which is the classic urge to learn mm. more mm. and impart knowledge to other people. Mm. Uh, you find this Bible, you find these verses, it answers some questions, but it opens up a whole host. And that's just a, a healthy way to approach life, as mm. far as I'm concerned, to have a questioning, um, yeah. sort of learning, the desire to learn mm. uh, rather than the acquisition of knowledge mm. and then the manipulation of that knowledge to prove something mm. it's like oh no I, that's interesting but this means then that I don't know about and then that I don't know about and mm. then that I don't know about and mm. that sense of which you want to acquire um, the, the, this mm. new knowledge is, seems mm. to me a very very sensible and healthy way to live life mm. and it seems to be something that you have in spades you know, you're, you're genuinely inquiring yeah yeah I think so and that was the first time I started to read because before then, I found reading quite difficult. Did you? And so the first proper book I read was the Bible. <laughs> okay. Right. Not the best book to start with. <laughs> okay. And uh, my uncle would, in- for think, you know, would in- think, I think, Jason, you are, you are dyslexic. You, you know, just the way that <laughs> you can't read but right, you're or spell. But you just of the book. <laughs> yeah, right, and, uh, but I would always deny it. I think there's a stigma to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, then um, that was amazing because actually I had a real enthusiasm to read. Okay. And so I thought that I should be able to read this and people can okay. read it in a year. 
it took me far longer than a year. Yeah. Although I read bits and pieces, there's bits I really can't remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was yeah. kind of the project that I, I set myself. Right. And uh, with that, you get study guides or other books and other bits and pieces. Okay. And uh, at the same time, as I went on an alpha course. Yeah. Um, and up to that point, I, you know, I just believed in God. It just was there. Went to an alpha course, and they ask you lots of different questions, or they think, or you'll probably think, you know, why is there suffering in the world? Uh, why is this? I'm thinking. I thought no, I hadn't. I hadn't been thinking about that actually, but now I am. Oh but, no! But yeah, actually, that's oh, a problem. Uh, you just put that in my head. Yeah, yeah. I was quite happy with it until you start to raise all these issues. <laughs> yeah, how can a loving God cause pain and suffering? All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I then went through eleven weeks of having to question my faith, and then go. I still don't really understand the yeah. answers to those questions, if there are any answers to those questions. But I do know there's a God, hmm. and I know He's a loving God. Uh, yeah, so okay. uh, that was a, 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 a change in life. Yeah, so 25, I'd uh, become a Christian, and my, my uncle um, was a Christian. Okay. And actually, I started to work for him before I was a Christian. Mm-hmm. No, uh, yeah, before I became a Christian. And apparently he said, oh, I've been praying for you all the time. And then, you know, yeah. uh, okay. a bit later. Yeah. And that was great, because then, you know, it's far easier to relate to vision, mission, and purpose if you're on the same same place. Yeah. And also, uh, the role of spirituality in mental health is well known these days. I'm I'm not a believer in a god or anything mm-hmm. like that, but I'm certainly uh, don't think it's it's only me in the world, mm-hmm. or only just physical bodies. For example, mm. there's a sense in which we are all connected, and I mm. get that. Mm. And that sense of greater than mm. um, is a very, very definitely a really good thing to have in life. Mm. Solipsism, that sense of isolation, mm. is. Um, is devastating, as mm. you know, from mm. your current work. Mm. And we'll be getting to, to that soon. Uh, but this sense of something bigger, something greater, meaning and purpose is, mm. you know, they're crucial things to have in life. Mm. Um, and then you've codified them in your sense of that there a God exists for mm. you. Um, which, uh, you know, faith can be something that is very supportive of people through all sorts of crises. Mm. And particularly meeting people who have a strong faith. Mm can be very helpful for somebody who is struggling mm. with issues whatever that faith is mm. in i wouldn't advocate for a faith in no. any particular thing it's who am i to know mm. is is my sort of uh, response to that type of question i have no idea mm. when it comes down to it i, I ain't that clever no uh, not at all you know um, but that, that's interesting so you have this thing which in a sense is confirming a journey that you're already on it mm-hmm. seems to me that this is a natural progression in mm. your in mm. your life journey you mm. sort of you wake up you have this experience and you want to confirm mm. it and then yeah. and then you do what i think it seems to be prototypical of you you go and investigate it properly mm. you have a thorough good read about it yeah you go on courses you learn about it and you get to know it really mm. well and i join a church yes again advice from my best mate says well look, there's a, a church near you well, actually it wasn't near me at all um i was living in greenwich at the time mm. and the church was in pimlico right that's quite a distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but I, I ended up moving uh, uh, to, to that area. But you could get the river bus actually. Yes, I, I don't know if it existed pleasant. then. Did it exist no, then? I don't know. Um, anyway, it was a, it was quite a, a, a long way, but mm. sooner or later I actually was in Pimlico, and of course then you've got a community. And actually, that London and churches, uh, some churches are really vibrant. Yeah. And then you meet other people like you. And because uh, when I was going to church, it was generally older people who were quite not like me and boring. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a chore. Mm. Where here, all of a sudden, 
it's a huge social life. Mm. Not only uh, did you uh, share faith, <laughs> I like singing. Uh, I, I liked that sermons were really intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then you form groups and you go and you go and talk about it as well. After church, you head down to the pub and have a, a good chat. Yeah. And uh, that that became in my twenties my social network and, and group and connection and right. that was really good and is that 30s. where you met your wife through that community ultimately yeah right. i'm a late starter there right so um i've only been married now what six years something like that okay um so um apparently i i was quite social i i, I threw lots of parties mm -hmm. and apparently my wife did come to one of my parties oh right okay but only connected Many years later. Okay. Okay. When when you were over the party mode. Well, because uh, uh, yeah. Well, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll come to that story when we come to that story. Yeah. Um. So there's a again a progression in your own personal growth. You've got this spiritual growth. You're joining uh, more in the world. You're engaged much more in the world, and you're learning and developing your skills and moving into the training. Um, you're still in the dyslexia, dyspraxia stuff, or have you moved yep. on at this point? So um, I did touch type and read and spell for a while, and then um, I thought, well, you know, uh, let's see what else we can do within this area. I developed my, my training and mm. development, and uh, Kumon Educational is a maths and English teaching okay. company. Uh, they have many thousands of people they teach throughout the UK, and it's a very by rote practice method, and practice makes perfect, mm. and uh, it's good. Hmm. I was saying to my wife uh, when when Joshua's right age, I think I'd like to get him to do yeah. do do that because There's a lot of value in rote education yeah. for certain things. Yeah, and you have uh, so the role there as an area manager then uh, obviously was to train up uh, uh, new instructors, but they wouldn't you wouldn't be teaching them how to do maths or English. They've already got that. They're yeah. ex teachers or they're uh, maths teachers or teachers in some way. And they've either retired, generally retired, or maybe they've decided a career change. Yeah. And so they would be running their own uh, classes. Mm -hmm. And uh, you would go and support, maybe in the southeast, you might have 20 or so, 30 or so of those classes. And you'll support them. You'd get them to meet up, share stories and, and knowledge. Create so community. They would actually, yeah. you know, learn from other yeah. uh, instructors how to do the program, what they thought was useful. Mm. Uh, share advertising, a whole range of different things, and yeah. then you'll be invited along to their open days or when they're handing out certificates, and you'll be the person from head office that would shake the hand and hand out the certificate right. or sort out the problem. Maybe there's a teacher, uh, an instructor talking to a parent, and they've had a falling out, mm. and mm. they need someone just to okay, let's, let's let's talk about it. What's gone on? And let's let's see what we can do about it. Yeah. So you're facilitating, creating community, communities of practice, um, supporting other people in their dreams. You know, sort yeah. of they're setting up their business and yeah, um, getting their livelihood sorted out. And it's quite a responsible role. Mm. Sort of. And it was fascinating and fun. Yeah. And you had so much freedom. You could go and we had an advertising budget. You could go and try different things. Great. You, you were traveling around your region. Yeah. And and meeting up with people. Your diary was your own, so you could. Yeah. Uh, decide who you you you'd form local meetings you get them together so yeah i enjoy that quite a journey from town and country planning yeah so town and country planning was a plan but wasn't really what my heart was and it's almost like i mean I, in many ways this your story is it's it's almost like the story of how work has gone in <laughs> this country mm -hmm. there was a time when we believed that you could get a career mm. 
and you, that would be it. You know, mm. certainly if you got a job as a town and country planner in the local authority, there was a time when you could have imagined that you would have had that job for the rest of your life. Mm. You go and join a local authority, mm. you leave and you get your pension, and, mm. and that's the story. Mm. But but your story is the much more typical now of the story of people in mm. um, sort of working life in the UK these days, which mm. is that we've all become, I think the term is workpreneurs. Oh. So that uh, we're not necessarily entrepreneurs. We may go and work for other people, but we're entrepreneurs in the sense of that we're building our own careers and we're deciding to go from one company to another company um, and then creating our careers in that way mm. by that sort of journey. I happen to be an entrepreneur. I've set up the businesses, but, but most people now are moving from uh, to several employers. So mm. nobody assumes anymore they will just have one employer. Mm. And I think the... The numbers now are average number of employers in anybody's uh, lifetime is something like seventeen now. Gosh, wow, that's a yeah, lot. It's quite it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and people are making conscious choices about which employer. But you seem to have done that naturally, um, and 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 you've done it the way you're describing it as it's been this sort of dynamic organic process mm. that you've just thoroughly enjoyed in mm. many ways. Yeah, I've been very fortunate because each of the jobs I've had. Even from the insurance, I've actually enjoyed each yeah. of those challenges. Yeah. I particularly loved and uh, got energy from uh, just supporting and being with people. Uh, yeah, so that's been a, a real passion. Yeah, and I would, you know, I would say clinically that, that that's what I'd encourage people to do, is to focus on what you're doing interpersonally. Mm. Because that's actually where we get the satisfaction in life mm. from. Mm. is our uh, emotional and psychological connections to other human beings. Mm. That's the payback. Mm. And we get that um, neurologically. <laughs> sort of, We're getting reward chemicals when we do it, so, which literally make us happy. It's a good thing. So we get things like oxytocin and serotonin and all this mm. sort of stuff when we, when we have really engaged, warm human contact with another human being. Mm. Um, it's valued by Mother Nature, so she just gives us loads of reward chemicals for it. Right. And it's one of the secrets to happiness. Isn't that fascinating? It's genuinely one of the secrets to happiness, is warm emotional connection with other human beings. Mm. And we just get this blast of happiness, mm. you know, sort of drug-induced, but there you go. Mm. I'll take it, however mm. it comes. <laughs> you know. um, but somehow you stumbled into that secret, and, mm -hmm. and you've continued your own personal growth within all of that. And you have this um, adaptable and flexible approach to you that you're sort of, you seem to me you're very much in the moment. This is where I am. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this work, and I'm going to make this work really well for mm. me. Would you say that's correct about mm. you? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't always say that um, I would uh, have a plan of how to do it. No. But it would uh, certainly... I, I've been very fortunate that things have fallen into place. I mean, there was lots and lots of job I'd applications question the idea on the way. Of, I'd question the idea of very fortunate, because I think that you, you have been, but I think a lot of people can be very fortunate but not grasp the opportunities. Right. And there's something about the ability to be present and grateful for what you've got. And that if you can cultivate that ability within mm -hmm. yourself... What you've got is generally good enough, mm -hmm. um, but then uh, the the converse of that is thinking I want something else, which will always lead to unhappiness. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're sort of experiencing the here and now and going and finding the value in it, mm -hmm. um, that's generally the sort of the way you get into a happy mm -hmm. state of mind. Yeah. Which doesn't mean, and I think a lot of people might mean that that means you you end up not having any more goals or anything like that which is not true 
Um, my experience is that if you're happy and contented in the moment, you're more likely to then want to project forward and think about, well, how can I improve upon this? Mm. Uh, whereas if you're stressed out and unhappy in the mm. moment, you're more likely to want to just check out mm. and yeah. have a duvet day <laughs> and just give up. Um, yes. Because the future doesn't seem all that appealing. So, mm. I mean, you seem to be doing this stuff naturally. Um, you found it organically. So uh, is that luck or is it something that you're doing? Yeah, maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe you're just making your luck for yourself. I tend mm. to think that um, there's something very healthy about you that's, that's mm. going on. I think the, the, the places of real uh, struggle mm. are in between uh, the jobs when you're waiting for uh, those applications. Yeah. You sent off the application to the job you think you are perfect for. Yeah. And you don't even get a response. Yeah. And so there's always been lots of those. But when you look back on life, you forget all those that work you of put in. Of uh, so actually getting the job at Kumon or, or Samaritans and stuff like that was after doing a the, lot. So of talking about the job that you are really want and are perfect for, you were then telling me about the story about um, you then apply for the job at Samaritans as a trainer from Kumon, wasn't it? Uh, no, so um, from uh, Kumon, I, I did a couple of things. I went and worked in South Africa for them and That's did the right, same yeah. thing and developed yeah. uh, study centres abroad. Yeah. And uh, then after that, I got involved uh, briefly with a uh, retreat, a Christian retreat, yeah. uh, to support that and get that up yeah. and going. And then from that, I moved on to a church role. Yeah. It was a church that I That's became right. a Christian in. Yeah. And I ended up being the administrator there. Yeah. Um, and then that was de dealt with people who were bereaved, homeless, struggling sure. to cope. And then I was looking for a role, which then the Samaritans came up. So this role comes up in the Samaritans. While I'm at the church. You apply for it and um, it, you get it. And then sometime afterwards, your wife says to you. No, interesting. Before I got it. Before you get when it. And I was going for the interview. She said, do you know, this is the only job I think you've applied for that you that, that is you. Right. So on that note, we're going into the adverts and then we'll come to the final section of the show. So um, catch you after the adverts, folks. You're listening to Radio Station where really talk. I'd just like to leave a little minute to see <laughs> at what point will Andrew panic you know thinking what, you, that you, I haven't, I've forgotten. You actually got me then. You, you actually got me then. I, I was I like, what? see. What does <laughs> he do? No, no, will you talk, for God's sake? <laughs> radio silence, you can't have that. I know, we can't have silence. Did I ever tell you about that? I did, one of the first radio shows I ever did was, mm -hmm. uh, was the guy who used, um, a bit like Stephen Hawking's machine. He had a similar disability. Okay. But he used a machine to help him talk. But it wasn't as complex. as It wasn't as clever as Stevens. And um, uh, so he had a series of um, lights that moved across this board. And there were pre-programmed answers in. And he was being interviewed on radio. And I'd helped him work out his answers uh, prior to he had the questions he knew what they So we knew which light had what answer. Um, and so we had this very complex interview going on uh, where the interviewer had to answer, ask the questions in sequence and um, so because the lights would be going across the board in particular timed order okay. um, but he missed the sequence and missed Whoa. one of the lights so we just had to sit there and wait and we literally waited for a minute as the lights moved across the board with nothing happening and the guy who was on the radio was literally having a panic attack 
we, we, we were just I sat there going, oh, that's fine. I, I can imagine I'd have probably be having a similar kind of panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first time I realised that it's just absolutely not acceptable to have silence on radio. No, not even a second, because it's really noticeable when you're listening. Yeah. And it's like, well, what's going on? And then yeah. they change channel, and then yeah. you've potentially lost a listener. I've mm. potentially lost all our listeners. This potentially, have lost all, just to play a trick on me, you've lost just all our play, listeners. Oh, there you go. Anyway, it is radio, and it's live radio, unless you're listening to it on the podcast, in which case it's a... <laughs> It's a podcast, it's not a live radio. But uh, currently, right now, we're getting into all sorts of time, space, distortion, nonsense at the moment. Um, but it is live radio, and you can join in with us. Uh, have you got the jingle ready? This is the number on which you can call us and join in the radio. That's fantastic. Well done. Uh, just uh, So you can join in, call us. Um, uh, Andrew would literally wet himself in happiness. I'd be so excited. It's just really silly how excited this guy gets when people call him. Um, it's, it's almost like um, he sort of lives alone or a sad existence <laughs> with nobody who loves him. I mean, him that's probably true him. anyway, but I don't think those two things are like correlated. It's not the, connected, no, is it? No, it's just you're naturally exuberant. <laughs> yeah, <and somebody. laughs> He's not. It's, it's just seen before the show. He sort of he, he slumps in the corner like a, a, a sort of blow up doll. That and just, let the and air as soon as the show comes on, it's well, let's, let's get into life and, <laughs> and it fills with air and off he goes. It's weird how these says I just go along with your jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you used to resist. <laughs> I'm like the Borg, aren't I? Yeah. Resistance is futile, you know. So um, I, I've uh, sort of my nano bots have been uh, sort of infected him and taken him over. Anyway, you can phone us. You can join on. Um, Facebook Live as well. Uh, we're here with Jason Alexander um, from the Samaritans, uh, one of the training officers who works on a, an extraordinary national program um, um, producing uh, training for people who are involved in the railways around um, suicide prevention. And we're going to come on to that now. I think we have got a question for. Yes, of yeah. course. I mean, if anyone wants to comment on our Facebook and leave questions for Jason, I'm sure Jason's mostly more than welcome to yeah, answer happy. asking questions. We, we do welcome questions to our our show. But Jason, uh, for you, the question that we've had in so far tonight is, how has faith affected your work with the Samaritans? How have the two gone hand in hand? How have you mixed or worked with the two? Mm. It's interesting because Samaritans, it, it, it's not a religious organisation. And it's uh, made up of people in the, which have faith and no faith at all. And uh, I think need to get that across. Uh, uh, um, but in my day to day, uh, sometimes when I'm going into a training session or, or dealing or listening to somebody who's going through a really tough time, I find prayer is really powerful because um, that, that gives me some strength and gives me some confidence and ability just to maybe come out from that place and be able to uh, give that silence to actually think, actually, uh, what are these people uh, going through? and asking for help because um, hmm. people can share the most personal and painful things that they're going through and you're thinking there's nothing I can say that can make that better uh, but I pray that uh, you know uh, someone somewhere will actually meet your pain because hmm. uh, you know you hear some really painful stories now I call that humility and humility is a really good skill to have mm. When you don't know what to say or do, you just don't know. And no. pretending that you do is, is mm. potentially very damaging to somebody. Mm. Um, there's actually been studies of prayer which have shown that it increases motivation for difficult tasks. 
Oh, really? Well, I was going to ask, have you ever recommended prayer to anyone who's looked for help yeah. for you from the Samaritans? No. Again, the Samaritans don't offer advice. And that's something which people sometimes get frustrated with because we won't tell them what to do. Yeah. Uh, but if people are struggling and they've got an issue or a problem, and, and they're a stranger to me, they know everything about their life and I know nothing. Mm-hmm. Only what they want to share. So mm-hmm. if I start to go in and give advice, <laughs> that's a great way of winding somebody up. Mm-hmm. And so I suppose it's more uh, listening to them, uh, reflecting back what they've said. And then they say, look, I'm, you know, I might be struggling with alcohol or something like that. I said, well, have you thought about things that you can do to maybe challenge that? Yeah. And they said, well, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous, hated that. So I thought, oh, good job. I didn't recommend that because, you know, that wouldn't be great. Yeah. But they might come up with something else. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking of maybe just popping down to seeing the GP about that. Well, how would you do that? Yeah. Oh, so, well, so you can start yeah. to coach them, really. Non-directive listening is an incredibly powerful way mm. of helping people. Um, because what it does is it does give it back to the person who's talking and, and effectively says, well, I, I trust you to find a solution. I trust that you actually can have the resources that you can develop these mm. resources so we, we know that so um, coming to the Samaritans so you you apply for this job as a trainer in the Samaritans was mm-hmm. the the project around the National Railways already up and running or was that already running but they were starting up a new section which was to support the underground and they wanted somebody to go in and so tell us about um, the uh, first of all uh, if you're listening and um, you are struggling in any way and uh, you need to reach out for help from the Samaritans um, there is a free phone number that you can yeah. call isn't there and it's confidential yeah. 116123 won't even appear on your phone bill Yeah. and uh, when you call that number we can't even see that number so you can remain that stranger and that's really powerful because you can share anything yeah. uh, when so you so feel let's say the number again a bit so slower. it's 116123 so 116 you just dial that into your phone yeah even if you've got no credit on your phone 116123 great and we got in terms of volunteers, 21,000 volunteers manning yeah. that phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year. And that's anywhere in the UK? Yeah. And what Northern about Ireland. in Ireland? Northern Ireland. I Northern think. Ireland. In ERA? Um, good question. Is Try it. <laughs> I'm fairly sure it's the same number because I've given the out loads. Okay. So yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it is. Well, thank you for knowing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, shall yeah, go and yeah, check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but 116123. And also you can go onto our website or yeah. just Google Samaritans. Yeah. And there's lots of other places you can get support. For instance, we have roughly 200... I think it's 201 branches throughout the UK yeah. where people go and talk face-to-face. Different people like receiving support in different ways. Some people like that human face-to-face. Yeah. Some people like the phone. It's only the phone that's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it could be uh, face-to-face. We also have... Uh, uh, Some of my patients, when I suggest that they call the Samaritans, they yeah. look at me a bit odd and I go, mm-hmm. no, no, no. It's, this mm. stuff is... They're really... This, this works. And I say, I... I, I, I I would feel odd calling them. I'd feel a bit strange calling them. Mm. Um, and um, and I say, well, you know, what 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 do you want to feel? Odd mm. and strange and embarrassed or suicidal and in despair? Mm. You know, it's 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 a no brainer really. Just pick up the phone. Um, we were talking about how guys often as well will say um, they don't think the problem that they've got is serious enough to mm. reach out for help. Yes, it's mounted a survey, and I think something like seventy percent of people, men, would. Uh, admit, you know, that if they were struggling, they should, you know, that they would admit they're struggling. But well over a quarter of them wouldn't actually seek support. Yeah. So they recognise it's okay to struggle, but 
you know, over a quarter wouldn't receive yeah. support. And mainly, uh, mainly because maybe they thought that their problems were insignificant mm. or the people they're talking to wouldn't understand their problems or mainly they want to thought about the problems themselves. But it is one of the reasons why guys end up making 75% of suicide attempts. Yeah. It's yeah. because of this lack of ability to identify, I need to get help with the problem. Mm. Yes, I suppose if you look at the men and women dynamics, women are much better at help-seeking behaviours. Yeah. So they're going to turn up to the doctor more often than the man. Yeah. Um, and they also they'd have developed um, support networks and developed the language. Mm. So um, I, I tell a, a little joke on the course mm. when I run it, and um, I, I to identify you know, the difference of between men and women and around divorce as well. Yeah. And I say, look, my main emotional support is Joe. And if I've got a problem, she probably knows about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'll share it with her. If she's got a problem, she'll share it with me. Uh, but let's say I was working in a, in, a, in a male-dominated industry like the railways. Yeah. Would I, you know, naturally uh, share it with the guys who work out on the track? Hmm. And you ask the room, they say, no, not really. Yeah. Um, but Joe, if she's got a problem, would she share it with anybody else? And they say, oh, yes. I say, you know my wife then. Yeah, she's sharing it with anybody. Yeah. So there's a natural ability to share. Yeah. And also they developed a language and uh, a support group. And therefore, if a bigger issue or problems happened, they've got that support group to turn to. But not only that, if they've been keeping up to date with, you know, the stories that have happened so far, hmm. there's not a huge backstory to go through, yeah, is there? Exactly. Whereas men... Actually, if they you know if it's a divorce and their main support was their wife, mm -hmm. who do they turn to? And if they can't talk about the most significant thing in their life that's happened, yeah. well, that's really difficult yeah. and really tough, and that can drive and that also person down. I hadn't heard it said in this way, but I, I totally agree. This idea of there's often a big backstory to tell for guys who ask for help for the first time, and that can be really off-putting. Mm. Where having do you start? To, yeah, it, literally. And then how do you explain it? And then you've got to justify mm. it and you've got to do it. Yeah. Whereas if somebody already knows the narrative, the ongoing yeah. narrative, it's yeah. the next chapter or it's the next page in that story. Yeah. And th then it's, it's much more comfortable and easier to, yeah. um, to sort of uh, continue it. Yeah. So you're in the Samaritans. You get this job as a trainer um, and um, the training role. And I, I sort of like to look at... Um, what it is you're actually doing because you're you're going to a frontline industry mm. where um, um, suicide is an in, an issue or mm -hmm. has been mm -hmm. um, as um, a sort of a, a place that people might attempt to end their life, um, but not as much as we think. Mm -hmm. uh, but the consequences of it are quite significant mm. within the sort of railway network mm. if if mm. there is a, an attempted suicide or an actual suicide mm. on the railway network. Mm. So at some point network rail or somebody decided um, oh, we need to do something about this. Mm. So I think uh, if you go back beyond 10 years mm. uh, generally the attitudes in society as suicide happens there's not much you can do about right. it. Let's get on. But I think that story started to change. People are starting to, uh, well, definitely 10 years ago, yeah. start to come together and say, well, there, surely there is something we can do. Yeah. And that's when uh, the kind of the railway family came together and invited Samaritans into that discussion and said, what are the things that we can do to uh, tackle this? So that's uh, not only Network Rail, it's train operating companies, it's British Transport Police. It's all those people that are connected. There's a couple of hundred thousand people employed within the rail industry. Sure. And um, uh, so through talking through Samaritans, there was a number of things that we uh, proposed. And some of that, part of that, and the part I'm involved in, 
is uh, training and it's uh, giving people the confidence to approach someone who they've worried or concerned about. So who are the about. people that you give confidence? Who do you train? Well, uh, anybody within industry. But today I was training and most of those guys were railway staff, mm. either our platform assistants, uh, people at the ticket barriers, uh, people who dispatch trains. But we're walking with a throughout the whole of the industry so these people that work on the track uh, people in the offices just doing the yeah. um, the, the accountancy and stuff like that because sure. a lot of those guys are out and it's such a transferable skill hmm. um, and a lot of people have come on the course say it's not really just for the job it's actually for me at home it's uh, for my community yeah. uh, because although we're we're doing it within the rail environment actually uh, obviously suicide is prevalent in lots of different locations and lots sure. of different places. Sure. So it's we've we've tuned it for these guys. So it's the railway workers, railway staff, the BTP as well. Yeah, British Transport Police, and they're brilliant. So they yeah. come along, and uh, if we can mix the groups together, that's brilliant. So you might have some people from British Transport Police, some people rail operators, mm -hmm. um, uh, people that work on the track, what have you. So it's root and branch. You're you're working with any and everybody who professionally yeah. comes into contact yeah. with the railway. So security services. staff. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and so that whole... Uh, so this is a huge culture shift. Um, so 10 years ago, people were going, there's not, you can do nothing you can do about it. You just have to sort of clean up afterwards. Yeah, I know. think I was saying that about society. Yeah. I think society as a whole has gone through a whole change yeah. about their attitude to suicide. And out of that bubble, there's lots of activity now. Right. I mean, for instance, this, this radio program and yeah. addressing men's health and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really powerful and really valuable. Men's yeah. clubs that are starting now to support men, really valuable yeah, stuff. Yeah. And suicide in particular, I think, does is a gendered issue mm, mm. because it, um, more men die from suicide. Seventy-five percent of suicides yeah. um, are, are men, um, and um, that's not seventy-five percent of people who attempt suicide, but successful suicides, as in somebody ends up dead. Yeah, yeah. There's a three to one ratio. So, so yeah. uh, for every woman that dies by suicide, three men take their life by suicide. Yeah. Yeah. There's roughly a suicide every 90 minutes. Yeah, it's extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary. Um, so um, um, some visionary <laughs> in both organisations thought, well, we need to get our heads together around this and, mm -hmm. and get a training programme together. So what is it you train? I mean, what do you teach mm -hmm. people? What are the skills that you give people? I think the first thing is confidence. Right. Um, uh, and those listening skills. Uh, the opportunity to just go uh, uh, approach and be there for someone to talk to them and to encourage them to talk because we know if we talk about their worries and their concerns uh, you can move people from being suicidal to not suicidal just uh, that relief of talking about those worries they it's referred to being emotionally sick and mm. if you can be emotionally sick you can move out of that place yeah they're still vulnerable but then we want to encourage them to a place of safety. And then from there on, for instance, the British Transport Police run something called the Suicide Prevention Plan, Peer Plan. Okay. Really effective where they uh, uh, will put together a plan for that person to support them into the future. Wow. So that might be connected into community, to the Get doctor. Get out of it. I didn't know about no. that at all. That's extraordinary. Yeah. And uh, of those, uh, as soon as you're into some form of support, then you can start to rebuild your life over the long term. Right. So we're not saying to the guys, you know, tell them advice, tell them what to do, because actually that's that's not helpful. Yeah. But actually just listen and then uh, uh, talk and get them to that place of safety. And, um, you know, being having a thoroughly good listening to, mm. being listened to is, is such a healing experience yeah. for anybody. And, of course, the members of the staff are strangers. Yeah. 
and it's amazing what you can share a stranger. Yeah. So uh, we've developed things like learning tools, online videos. So it's almost like an anonymous conversation with yeah. a Samaritan, isn't it? You know, yeah. pick up the phone, you know who it is. Yeah. 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 And then people can really open up. And um, how do, like, I, I mean, I guess I would imagine there's a sort of pull for some people who get the training. There's a pull when they, um, when they do an intervention and you know it's successful to then want to carry on with that person. They feel emotionally connected. Mm. What do, what sort of sort of advice and guidance yeah. around? So part of the the uh, course also is how do you end a contact? Right. And we know that um, you've built up a trust with this person and they might say to you, you're the only person that's ever listened to me. Exactly. You're the only person I trust. You're the only person I care for. Well, you thank them for that. But then what you're doing, you're signposting onto the person that can help into the future. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm great at dispatching trains. I'm great at train timetables. But hey, um, Samaritans, <laughs> what the things you've been talking about, actually, they might be able to help exactly. you with that further exactly. um, if you've uh, appreciated me listening to you now actually mm. Samaritans they've got some trained volunteers mm. who can help you support yeah. on, on the way forward yeah. so uh, yes yeah, so we're pointing out the boundaries for instance what they can and can't do for instance a person might want them to travel in the ambulance with them no <laughs> <laughs> and being honest I need to wind up this conversation now and yeah. actually the best place to take this conversation onto yeah. and therefore signpost them and supporting onto yeah. Samaritans or other people that can support and of course I think for, for somebody who might have done an intervention whether it's successful or not I mean however you define mm. that but um, let's say it is successful even that would be quite uh, an emotionally draining experience yes. I mean what sort of support would you give to that volunteer then do you think well, right. to, at that point they're a professional doing their job and then they step into this yeah. role yeah so we talk about that yeah so uh, uh, if, if you witness a suicide that's traumatic yeah, it's got to be horrible. And I can't imagine anything more horrible. To yeah. um, but also, if um, uh, we'll come you, to you support for people who witness. Yeah, yeah. But, just but if you, you, but also in the same place, if yeah. you've actually um, gone through that that life saving intervention, over I think it was two thousand. I think it was like 2,200 life-saving interventions yes. that took place last year. Yeah, amazing. That's huge. Yeah. And uh, those guys, we're talking, uh, we've got videos of guys who have, have, have done interventions. And normally in the room, there's somebody that's done an intervention. Right. And they often say, it was the most scary thing that's happened in my life. Yeah. And actually what they need to do then is talk about it. Yes, quite. <laughs> and their first line of support yeah. is their colleagues. Yeah. And a colleague might say, look, I hear it was pretty hairy yesterday what happened. Yeah. And just yeah. being able to unburden what happened yeah. is huge. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, just, just saying again what we do as a Samaritans. When we, uh, our listeners, listening volunteers, um, take a call at the end of their shift, they will be able to talk to their other volunteers about how their yeah. evening's been. It and was so something that huge, in Nightline that we did, it was almost with religious sort of mm. consistency was that at the end of your shift the whole team would get together and decompress and yeah. talk about what was yeah. you never took it home yeah leave it at work yeah, yeah. absolutely uh, extraordinary I'm really surprised by the police stuff in particular I didn't know about that at all about how they follow up on uh, people who have attempted suicide and will sort of reintegrate them back into society yeah. uh, which is uh, one reason it's blowing my mind it's not just that I didn't know about it it's, it's because the total shift in attitude we have towards um, suicide because at one point we used to talk about people committing suicide yes uh, like it because it used to be a criminal offence yeah I think back but in now, the, now the police are they're, they're becoming the counsellors and social workers around this rather yeah. than the people who 
actually would have been charged with yeah. arresting you for And that's it. quite important because um, if you're going to commit a crime, mm-hmm. are you going to talk about that? Mm. So by not making it a criminal event, uh, people can start, you've got the permission to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. And that's a huge shift there. Yeah. And how do we look after people? Um, and sort of is, is this part of the training as well? In terms of somebody's made an intervention, but it was unsuccessful. So unfortunately, somebody has taken their life and uh, a member of staff or a member of the police has mm. witnessed mm. it. I mean, that's um, yeah. one of the most traumatic things yeah. that yeah. because you're invested in trying to help somebody and then it mm. doesn't work mm. you mm. know um, it's mm. um, interesting majority of the people that I've spoken to have made an intervention to be successful right um, have I spoken to somebody who hasn't I don't know it doesn't spring to mind which is interesting yeah. isn't it yeah. I've, we've trained well over 18,000 people amazing um, but you, you might not have spotted somebody well no let's stop and think about that because I guess what we're saying here is this stuff works yes it is successful mm. and the stuff that's working is simply teaching somebody how to listen to another human being in distress mm. without becoming overwhelmed without needing to help without needing to step outside of their own boundaries but mm. but being a, actually genuinely present mm. as a human being with another human being and mm. saying okay I, I, I'm going to listen to this mm. Mm. and maybe that's that's extraordinary, mm. isn't it? To think mm. about that. And in your experience, you still have yet to come across somebody where that hasn't worked. Um, I've spoken to many people who have witnessed suicides. Right. Um, but uh, my, my my overwhelming experience yeah. is that um, they've got the person talking. It might not have been a, a a great intervention in terms of you know it wasn't wasn't you know. You know, like you can have a text, but what it you should have done. It wasn't Hollywood hugs yeah. at the end, or no, you know. No, but actually, the person um, is still alive. Yeah. and has a hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know because uh, you know uh, there's there are different you know there's there's things about um, people who've naturally come to the end of their life, for example, and want medic medical assistance to end their mm. life, and that's a very different conversation with um, mm. we're talking about. My mum, for example, died of. Um, cancer. She probably didn't die of cancer. She probably died with medication that had given her pain relief. Mm. And I'm very grateful for that. Mm. You know, and so that was a, a medically assisted uh, ending of life, as mm. far as I'm concerned. Although the doctors wouldn't say that. No, but they gave her the machine that allowed her to keep pressing yeah. the button, and we know what morphine does. Yeah, and that's okay. There's yeah. no problem there. Yeah. And of course, we, we're not allowed to assist. No. Uh, the ending of life but we do mm. and that's the way we do it mm. um, that's a different story to this situation and I would say as a mental health professional I guess you would agree with this um, I've n- yet to come across a situation in a human being's life and I've seen all sorts of distress over the years uh, which can't be improved mm. which to which the solution of ending one's life mm. makes sense mm. You know, mm. and my experience of somebody who wants to end their life is actually what they want to end is the pain. Yes, they're not really embracing the idea of the end of their life. No. Like somebody who has a terminal illness may embrace the end of their life. You know, and I get that. I understand why that might be mm. appealing. You come to a certain point, quality of life issues. Mm. But as and I've been in this game thirty years, and I can say hand in heart. At this point, I've not met somebody who's in mental health or psychiatric distress or emotional distress uh, who, where we can't improve, the, the situation can't be improved mm, mm. to the point where the, the pain goes away. Yeah. I think the emotional pain is so overwhelming at yeah. that moment, they just want the pain yeah. to stop. Yeah. 
And um, and one of the greatest pain reliefs that we know is talking powder. That's right. <laughs> It's extraordinarily simple. And as soon as you talk about it, for instance, you can go into that tunnel vision. Okay. And Ignore Andrew. I, I know what he's doing, yeah. so you just stay with us. Um, he's, uh, people go into that tunnel vision. They're, 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 they don't, haven't got any other thought around their yeah. I- problem, yeah. and it's just overwhelming. Yeah. But as soon as you have a conversation, you can break that tunnel vision because as soon as they ask you stuff, you've got to yeah. look at it from a different perspective. You've got yeah. to use a different language, different words. Yeah. You break the tunnel vision, you can break yeah. those suicidal yeah. thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And um, how were you? I mean, how do you look after yourself in all of this? Because oh, well, we're supported. Yeah. So in the same way that you had Nightline and you talked to your colleagues, yeah. so our, our trainers um, will chat to each other. Um, and that's really helpful. Uh, different experiences. Uh, if I mention something, they'll, they'll actually pick up on that and go, oh, that sounds a bit rough. <laughs> How did that go? So naturally doing what we would encourage people to do anyway. Yeah. It's interesting. If people ask it with care, they're not just doing it as a, a textbook thing. It's yes. totally different. Yes, 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 yes. So you, it, it's about having a, a conversation where people care for you. Yes. And then, so you've got that built in because we, we, we like each other, we care for each other. You've got your manager above, mm. uh, but also we have a supervision away. Mm. So we'll have somebody outside of Samaritans that we will regularly go and see mm. to talk about the stuff that and we've come across. Just on a personal note, you may not want to answer this question. It's totally cool if you don't want to, but have you ever experienced despair and sort of wanted, thought, this is too much for me. Is it a personal experience you've had? No, okay. no, but it's interesting. You can walk past uh, a, a thing, thing and have thoughts of how you could possibly take your life. Yes. That's not suicidal, no, and no. you get a cold shiver. Yeah. But I haven't been in that place where, yeah. gosh, I feel totally lost. And it's fascinating totally lost. because I, I don't think people need to have been in that place to understand how it feels for somebody else to be in mm. that place. I'm just interested and, and mm. sort of wondered uh, mm. what, what you did to mm. get out of there if you had been there. Mm. Um, we're, we're coming to sort of the end of the show. I know it's remarkably quick, isn't it? Wow. It's like this is an hour and a half and it doesn't feel like it, I know. Mm. Uh, it's always a bit like this. We go into this sort of time warp tunnel thing. Um, before we end, uh, I'd like to think about what, what might be your top three tips around um i i guess we're going to be doing if if you suspect mm. um somebody is despairing what are your top three tips mm. for sort of um well, either for getting yourself out of it or helping somebody mm. else out of it mm. so okay. have, a, have a think about that um and we're sort of coming how long we got now andrew we've got three minutes we've got three minutes yeah. so you've got a bit of time to listen to your so you've got a bit of time to think about it i'm going to allow you the gift of silence on the radio oh perfect <laughs> so have a think just while you're thinking about that, I did do some research during the show, and uh, the Samaritans on the Foot Island is the same as the one for Great. Britain. I was fairly certain it was. Yes. One one six one two three. So um. <laughs> okay. So, what are your top three tips? Do you think? Can I speak now? Yeah. Great. Just checking. Don't want to interrupt the silence, because actually silence is really important. And when you're talking to somebody, giving them the silence to speak. So if you start uh, a question, if you see someone. It could be a friend, colleague, whatever. Just ask them that open question. I can see you're upset. What's wrong? Just a nice open question. Yeah. And then give them that time to respond. And if you ask it and wait and watch, you often, sometimes people take a time to actually be able to come out with what to say. And don't interrupt that silence. Um, You might give permission to that silence by saying, look, it's all right. Take your time. Take your time. It's all right. And once they start to speak, don't interrupt them. 
allow them to talk about those things and definitely don't give advice because uh, they probably know what to do and if you can just repeat back to them what they've said uh, they will hear their own words and that will trigger again those thoughts that are coming I think with any approach there's going to be an anxious or difficult conversation hmm. and I think it's having the confidence and bravery to start that difficult or okay. anxious conversation. So let me try and put a one, two, three on that. So oh, I've rambled. No, 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 you haven't. Uh, you've, you've get you get some fantastic advice, which is um, um, ask an open question and be open and encourage openness. Mm -hmm. um, uh, then listen and don't be afraid of silence um, and trust the person who's talking to find the solution trust that they will find the solution they have the answers mm -hmm. and the third one uh, 116123 yeah. there's lots of and that I would put in a bracket there's lots of other support out there yeah. um, so nowhere to signpost to yeah so, so you can always do the signposting to the Samaritans but it might be to the GP or whatever yeah. but don't tell them what to do ask them what they think they should do okay so here we are fantastic show this evening absolutely brilliant um get in touch with the samaritans what's the number again 116123 116123 if you're struggling at all um thank you for joining us it was really amazing to have you jason thanks a lot andrew um, great show tonight um catch you all next week bye bye <laughs>